a Bible reading from Luke chapter 13. One Tuesday morning on September the 11th, 2011, I was in my study, I had a phone call from Mary saying, put the television on, a plane has crashed into one of the Twin Towers. And we'd been sightseeing on the top of one of those towers barely two years earlier. That night, I was leading prayers for one of these diocesan meetings. And this was the scripture I read. Because Jesus had to talk to the people around him about the problem of evil, of natural disasters and human atrocities. Now, there were present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they're more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. The terrorist act, that human atrocity, state-sponsored persecution. Pilate has sent his soldiers to some Galileans in that sacred time of worship and sacrifice and butchered them. Or that natural disaster, this tower of Siloam falling, that presumably impressive tower, the height of building expertise and building regulations of the day. However much people had tried, they weren't perfect. It had collapsed on those 18. And Jesus spoke very firmly into that situation. And the chapter goes on to other types of suffering as well. In one of the synagogues, there's one person, a woman who'd been crippled for 18 years. And Jesus healed her. Yes, there can be huge disasters and tragedies going on in the world. But we might still be able to do something for individuals, as Jesus did. Because of the survivors from the Twin Towers, a few years later, we sat down to a meal with one of them. And I'm sure there'd be plenty of individual stories, yes, of tragedy, but also of survival. But that's the world we live in, and that's the world Jesus spoke to. So it is a hurting world. While we are seated, let's pray thoughtfully and privately with, O oh Lord, hear my prayer.
theme to talk about tonight, bad things sometimes happen to good people. I worked on this with Kate with the Children's Light Hub a few weeks ago and thought, especially in the light of even more recent events, we try and do a more adult presentation of it. But there's also some things that you might recognize were just for kids, in which case please forgive me and perhaps have an insight into what we get up to at Light Hub and maybe in the summer specials as well. So it started with uh, news time and Kate had all the children sitting here. She's very good at getting the children talking about things. And for news time, I put up my hand as well. And I told the children on Tuesday this week, I tried to be very good. And I tried to be very good all day. And they looked at me a bit askance. I said, right, I thought I'd do a few jobs around the house, and we had some glue sticking to the window frame, so I was scratching it and thought, I'll be good, I'll try and get it all off. And as I was doing it, suddenly my hand slipped, and I cracked my head on the wall, and there's a huge bruise there, and they all winced. Um, but I said, so bad things sometimes happen to good people. But I went on to a couple of other things because some of you know we do these alphabetical memory verses, five words each. One of them was N, nevertheless we made our prayer. And by the grace of God, I was able to get praying pretty quickly after that terrible bump. <laughs> and another one was K, keep your tongue from evil. And by the grace of God... I was able to keep my tongue from evil after that situation. So we've got a couple of themes coming out tonight and I'm um, asking a couple of people every now and then again to read them. So, Andy, what is your sentence? Bad things sometimes happen to good people. But, N, which is you, Lewis? Nevertheless, we make prayer. Yes. Nevertheless, we make our prayer, make the scripture ourselves. Nevertheless, David made his prayer. Set for yourselves, or for Job, nevertheless, he made his prayer. Okay, so we got into this uh, presentation. Now tonight, some of you got pieces of paper which just say message. When I ask for that number, I'm just asking you to bring it up to me. Others of you are reading some of the characters like Elihu and Eliphaz. Yes, that's it. But it's about the book of Job. Before we do that, I just want very quickly this slide of Psalm 23. Very familiar. The Lord is my shepherd. That's how we all need to start at some point or other in our life, making the Lord our own personal saviour and shepherd. If we start right, hopefully we'll finish right, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. But we might stumble on the way, as long as we don't lose our way. It's a way to find, to seek, and to follow. And so all the good things which we enjoy so much on the left-hand side of this screen, 
green pastures, still waters, our soul restored, the tough things of life, the valley, the shadows, the evil, the enemies. But through it all, as we commit our lives to God, there's that one central sentence, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For ourselves, there is a right path for each one of us to walk. We need to seek it and to follow it. And sometimes God will lead us on the paths of righteousness into the green pastures and still waters, and we can relax and enjoy it. Sometimes he will lead us into those tough times in the presence of our enemies. And we still need to walk faithfully with him and not stumble on the way. That dark sentence in the middle, on the right, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, secrets there. We do face dark valleys and the shadow of death. And that phrase, shadow of death, is actually a very rare one in the scriptures. It's there in Psalm 23 and 10 times in the book of Job. What a dark valley he went into, but he kept walking. And if we keep walking, we'll get through those dark valleys. So it's all about Job. Now, I must admit, the book of Job is not likely to be the reading we take on holiday. But you get most of the story from chapter 1 and chapter 42, the first and the final chapters. Okay? And then perhaps if you've read chapter 1, you could also do chapter 2 and chapter 3. But the first three chapters and the final chapter, you get virtually all the story of Job. Then if you want to go through some of the middle pages, well, I suggest you perhaps choose someone like Elihu and just read what he said. Or Job and just read what he said, miss the other bits. Or especially read what God says towards the end. And in that book of Job, yeah, 42 long chapters, well, long valley it could be. But actually, the shortest verse in the Old Testament, maybe even the shortest verse in the whole Bible, is there in Job 3, verse 2. In my translation, it just says, he said. And that must be a pretty short verse of all. So we need to try to imagine what it was like in Job's time. And this is where with the children I had a bit of a visual aid here and I asked Kate to come up to do some maths for me on this left-hand side. So we're all about Job. Okay, so imagine an old-fashioned village and a house. There's uh, Job and his wife, Mrs. Job. And we start off being introduced to all his children. Um, and this is where I begin to play my role of Job. Sometimes I even forget how many they are. So can you help me count? There's one, two, three, six, seven, or another one, eight, nine, ten. Ten children. So we've got ten children up there. And then, um, uh, that's my family. And boy, I'm rich as well, seriously rich, so rich, I can't even count all the money that I've got. But if you came to visit us one day, we're in the big house at the end of the street. And I've got so much money, I've given each of the children their own bedroom, their own space. And they've each got their own private playroom as well. That's how rich 
I am. But um, as I say, I don't bother to count all the money, but if you came down to my own business park, you'd find that I've got um, somewhere around 7,000 sheep. And that's a really good retail business for the fleece, for the clothing industry, for the skins, for making tents or the furs, for uh, sleeping mats and things like that, and for the meat industry as well. So that's food production and clothing. And then also, you'd also find my transport business. I've got 3,000 camels there, and I've cornered the market there. And these are very good. And if you work out the miles per gallon of water they drink, it is phenomenal. And then I've also got, I think it's about 500 pairs of oxen. So put 500 there. And this is for farm machinery and helping farmers rent them for short or longer term periods. And the right bottom end of the market as well, I've cornered that with 500 donkeys. So that's great. Yeah, pairs of oxen. Well, it does say pairs. P-R. <laughs> right, put 500 times two then. <laughs> one, two, three, four. Oh, five, yes. One's, she's rather shy. You have to excuse her. Anyway, that's my wealth. Aren't I fortunate? I give thanks to God for everything that's happened to me. And yes, the children enjoy themselves. They have parties in their homes. Sometimes I get a bit worried about the wild parties kids have these days. So in the following morning, as it says in Job chapter 1, I pray for them all that God would forgive any sins they've done. So I do keep up my prayer life. Because this is a story about faith, my faith. And it's a faith that is, if I get it, very strong. It's not me that says it. One day it will be in Scripture that it will be a strong faith. In fact, it's, if I get it right, the strongest faith. And that's phenomenal what Scripture says about it. But through all the experiences that Job has, it becomes the strong, strongest faith, becomes the toughest faith that he had. Because at the moment, Job is very, very rich. In fact, as Scripture says, he's one of the richest men of the East. But during this period, he becomes the poorest man. I wonder how we'd face up to things like that. But to resume this story, so wealthy, I give thanks to God, blessed be the name of the Lord who has blessed me in so many ways. But I must admit, I've got my worries. There's some baddies in this world, aren't there? I've got some enemies around. There's some people that I can't quite trust who are trying to trip me up. I've got this vast business empire how shaky is it? What will happen? Do I worry about bankruptcy? But it's more than that. 
there is something, I can't quite pin my fingers on it, some sort of enemy around in this world who's out to destroy me. It's almost like in God's beautiful creation, there's this slithery, uh, deceitful serpent that wants to crawl into our enjoyment and just try to ruin it one way or the other. I've got an accuser, sometimes I call him a, a Satan or the adversary or the devil who's out to bring darkness into my light. There is a thief around who will steal, kill, and destroy. And the second part of Job chapter 1 begins to go like this. And this is where we need the message number one, please. Because I start getting these little memos or notes. Uh-uh. The warlike tribe has raided us. They've rustled and stolen all our oxen and donkeys. So line through the 500 oxen, pairs of oxen, 500 through the donkeys. Uh-uh. And we've now got none of them. No. One bit of bad news, but I've still got some others. Message number two, please, from someone. Thank you. What's happened now? An electric storm and lightning frazzled all the sheep. They're all dead carcasses now. Uh-uh. Mm. I think, is it bankruptcy or something? Well, have we got message number three? Thank you. Message number three. Oh, a raiding party from over the border, the Chaldeans, and come, they've slaughtered my servants and taken all the camels. Oh, no. Not much left now. But what about message number four? Oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> to lose one child is awful. To lose two is catastrophic. How can I keep myself going? Oh, a terrible tornado whirlwind. A real twister came in from the desert. You can see it twisting up all the rubbish. Strike the house where all my children were parting and it collapsed totally. No survivors. It killed everyone inside as it collapsed on them. Oh, no. Oh, no. So during this process, the camels, the sheep, the oxen, even all the children, but the children have died and it's sad, but I'll put them inside the Bible as a reminder that God will look after them somehow or other. But what, just what has happened? Naked I came forth from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know I said it at the time, but the more I've thought about it, so much theology and truth is in those few words from Job 1.21. 
Yes, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall depart. I won't take anything with me. It's only what I and God have got together in eternity. That bit sometimes called storing treasures in heaven or making friends with everlasting habitations. That will last. Physically, I came in with nothing. Physically, I'll go out with nothing. But it's only just what I and God have got between us that's eternal, which will survive. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Sometimes I just sigh and sigh. But I just think for a moment, when the Lord was giving me loads of good things, I enjoyed it. And then the Lord started giving me tough things. And I have to learn how to cope with them. And the Lord has taken away. When the Lord takes away the good things, I feel sorrow and hurt. But when the Lord takes away the tough things, I can rejoice. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He gives good experiences. He gives tough experiences. He takes away tough experiences. He sometimes takes away good experiences. Can we be faithful to him through it all? But another thought, the Lord gave, but actually the Lord didn't take away my wealth. Read the scriptures in God's book and it would say, the Lord took my hedge away and he tolerated my adversary moving in to steal and kill and destroy all those things. So the Lord didn't cause my suffering. He just tolerated it to happen for a while. So I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's all I can do. Because with something like that, no wonder. And you read the court, heavenly courts again in Job 2 about how my health collapsed. And that was bad enough, wasn't it? Thanks for the moment. So there was I, left on my own, feeling pretty miserable for myself. But just left with Mrs. Job. The Bible doesn't tell us much about the argument between Mr. and Mrs. Job. But I wonder what it could have gone like. But darling, I don't know what's happened to us. I can't understand it. But all I can do is trust God. There's nothing else I can do. Oh, you and your God and your praying. Why on earth do you keep praying about things? You prayed so much for all your children. Look what happened to them now. How on earth can you keep faith in God? But darling, that's all I can do. I've always trusted God. I can't understand it. I can't give you an explanation. But that's all I can do. And now what are we going to do? We haven't got any money. We haven't got any food. We can't get any more clothes. What on earth are we going to do? Where on earth are we can do? Come up with some answers. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, you and your religion, why don't you have an argument with God? Tell him what you think of him, swear and curse and blaspheme, and then go and kill yourself. But he didn't. I didn't. 
through it all, he kept his tongue from evil. So let's just remind ourselves of the decision. First of all, with you, Andy. And they certainly did to Job. But, Lewis? Nevertheless, Right, and so Job goes on through that very long book. Don't worry, I'm not going right through it. Chapter 3, he's saying, I wish I'd never been born. Or if I'd been born, why wasn't I a stillborn baby? Or if I survived the first few days, why didn't I die from malnutrition? He'd rather be dead. He wished he hadn't been born. And so, there he is, sitting down, moping, wondering what on earth's going to happen, and three of his friends come up to him. They're astonished at his suffering. They just sit in silence for a whole week. And sometimes silent empathy is the best thing we can do. But eventually, they get talking. Eliphaz is his first comforter. He's got two whole chapters. Eliphaz, please. Uh -uh. And then Bildad, has he got any better advice? Uh -uh. And what about Zophar? That doesn't sound very good advice. But I come up with this gem in chapter 13, verse 15. Even though God were to slay me, I would still hope in him. And that's the real test. And many in the persecuted church are facing this. Even though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And we can imagine Job saying, oh, all this suffering, this cup of suffering, oh, if only it would pass from me. And when I say my prayers, I say, God, if possible, take this cup of suffering from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Though you slay me, yet will I hope in him. Anyway, the comforters have yet another crack. Eliphaz has one more chapter. Can you read it again, please? Seems to have heard that before somewhere. But they don't, they sometimes have got bits of good advice. It doesn't really make much sense. What about Bildad? Is he saying the same thing? Okay, let's try Zophar again. And during that trio of speeches, I come up with another gem. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I'm just wondering about my Redeemer. Oh, if only my Redeemer would come from heaven and live on earth for a bit, be born in a dingy 
way, grow up with hardships. And then he'd understand what human life is really like. Then this Redeemer would understand what human suffering was like. Oh, did he take my place and be disgraced and despised and rejected by others? If only he could taste death for himself and find out what it is to be forsaken of God. If only he could sympathize with me in my weaknesses and in my infirmities, then at least I'd find grace and to help in time of need. But the comforters haven't finished yet. They're beginning to run out of ideas. But Eliphaz still has one more chapter. Can we have Eliphaz for the third round, please? I think he wants them to be really badly mistreated. So you're getting what you deserve. Mm. Well, Bildad's almost run out of ideas, so he gets half a chapter this time. <laughs> Much good. And actually, sorry, Zophar doesn't even bother to reply the first time. So they have this round of three threes. But in this third round, I come up with another gem which I'm sure will stand the test. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. As I mentioned, there's the only thing I can take with me is what I and God have between us. I have this inheritance, I believe, in heaven, which is incorruptible and undefiled and won't fade away. But it's in reserved in heaven. And God will keep me through faith by his power unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And though I can't see him, I have this hope in him that eventually things will be all right. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Okay, let's give up on those first three advisors, and then someone else comes, a young person who's waited patiently his turn. Elihu has six whole chapters and is beginning to make a bit of sense. Brilliant advice. And then there's four chapters, 38, 39, 40, 41, where God speaks. And the summary is, Kate? So maybe in the book of Job we don't get answers but just hints of how to cope with life and make sure we're living with God. Even if our human minds can't understand, even if our human experiences don't seem to tally, but it's faith in the living God. So let's try and finish up the story. Because chapter 42 speaks of how Job, once again, listens to God and says a prayer for those comforters. So a moment of prayer now. Oh God, we can't understand what always happens to us. We try our best, but we know that your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways. Forgive us our doubts, forgive us our rebellions, and heal our memories. In Jesus' name, amen. And the final recovery in chapter 42. Kate, could you come up again?
So as Job now gets restored, he um, goes up now to 14,000 sheep. So that goes in this column. He now has um, 6,000 camels. He has 1,000 pairs of oxen, which makes 2,000. <laughs> and 1,000 donkeys. So things are looking up. A lot of us, the story ends there. And many persecuted Christians find the story ends with nothing apart from what they and God have in common. For some people, as for Job, God certainly reverses the fortunes. And so we need to count up the children again. So it should be easy. One, how good's your eyesight? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So we've got ten children back now. Put ten up there. Now, as you look at this simple bit of maths, what's special about the way God blesses in sheep, camels, oxen, and donkeys? Double. What's different then about the number of children? Same. Now, people have puzzled that. But the best answer is, the first ten are already in heaven. So it's doubled the number of children. So he's got 20 children. But this is beginning to open its way into the New Testament teaching of eternal blessings, one way and another. Thank you, Kate. So hopefully tonight, James 5.12, you have heard of the patience of Job. Let's finish with two words of Jesus. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Jesus says from heaven, first of all, to the church of Philadelphia, since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which is coming on, those, on the whole world to test those who live on earth. Is there another one? No. Okay. And how could I better close than the words of the Apostle Peter? After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If you're interested as you go, pick up an extract from...